Hello, everyone, and welcome to the thrilling adventures of Superman, a podcast where Superman still stands for truth, justice, and the American way. My name is Michael Bradley, this is episode 69, and this time we will be looking at the 12th storyline from the Superman radio show. This episode is being released on May 1st, 2012, which is actually a bit of a special time as far as Superman is concerned. Per current research and wisdom, Action Comics number 1 first went on sale on or around May 3rd, 1938. It might have been a, a little later than that, and it might have been a little earlier. According to legal documents involved in the Siegel lawsuit, uh, the release date was actually in April, though I, I think May is more likely correct. Given that distribution in 1938 worked entirely different than it does today, it's very possible and, and likely, in fact, that there was no one specific day where it was available everywhere. It might have gone on sale on the East Coast and then made its way west over the ensuing days or weeks. But either way, we are right around the 74th anniversary of the debut of Superman. Not much else to say about it other than that, uh, but given that a first issue release date is as close as we really have for a quote-unquote birthday for the character, I wanted to mark it. Not many characters have made 74 years and, and maintained the level of popularity that Superman has. But before we get into the show proper, I also have a couple bits of feedback to read. First up is an email from Rob Kelly. Actually, this is a Facebook message, not an email, but anyway, Rob wrote, Hey Mike, just finished your 1939 New York World's Fair episode, I'm catching up, of The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, and I loved it. I'm an aficionado of all things New York World's Fair. I have a few trinkets from it that I cherish, and as a kid, I drooled every time I saw that comic. Two of my favorite things together. I've even learned some new stuff about the fair, the whole time capsule thing, which was amazing. A great episode. Rob. And thanks, Rob. I'm, I'm really glad you enjoyed it and that you learned something new about the fair. Uh, I was really kind of fascinated by the whole time capsule thing, too. Um, I'm not sure how caught up you are, but hopefully you enjoyed the episode covering the, the 1940 World's Fair comic, too. For those who are new to the show and maybe haven't heard the entire back catalog, there were two issues of New York World's Fair comics produced by DC, one in 1939 and one in 1940, and there was a Superman story in each, and I covered those in episodes 19 and 58 respectively, um, along with other information about the fair, so check it out if you're interested. Rob also recently left an iTunes review where he said, Detailed and authoritative. This podcast covers the Golden Age Superman across all mediums and is a great show for anyone interested in the Man of Steel or in the history of pop culture mass media merchandising. Detailed and authoritative, host Michael Bradley is like a professor of Superman studies delivering the coolest college class ever. A lot of fun. And five stars. And wow, thank you very much, Rob. That, that was a really great review and I, I really do appreciate the kind words. I don't really consider myself a professor of Superman studies. Even given all the research and reading I've done, there's still a lot that I don't know. But I'm glad the podcast has been entertaining and educational enough that it, it received such an outstanding review. Rob is co-host of the Fire and Water podcast, which focuses on the characters of Aquaman and Firestorm. And he is also the brains behind the always great Aquaman Shrine, which features daily news and information about Aquaman. Aquaman has never been extremely high on my list of favorite characters. Sorry, Rob. Uh, but I've, I've gained a whole new level of respect and knowledge about the character from browsing Rob's site. And I think, really, saying that he's not one of my favorite characters really kind of has a different connotation, because it's not that I hated the character... I've just not really read a lot of Aquaman stories outside of his appearances in the Superman books or, or Justice League or what have you. Uh, but be sure to check out Rob's Aquaman Shrine and the Fire and Water podcast for everything you need to know or, or want to know about Aquaman. On a recent episode of the Fire and Water podcast, 
they had an interview, a, a really great interview, with legendary comics artist Nick Cardi. Uh, he's better known for his Aquaman and, and Teen Titans work, but Cardi did a, a long stretch of Superman work in the Bronze Age as well, and it was a really good interview. And they also had uh, part one and possibly part two, depending on when part two comes out in relation to when you're hearing this episode, but they did a retrospective on the Superpowers action figure line, which, being a child of the 80s, I really enjoyed the flashback on. Rob is also writer of a webcomic called Ace Kilroy, which is illustrated by Dan O'Connor. Ace Kilroy is a two-fisted adventurer fighting Nazis and vampires in the pre-World War II era of the late 1930s. Think Indiana Jones meets... Buffy meets Slam Bradley, with a little bit of James Bond thrown in for good measure. Uh, The strip launched last October and and featured a new strip every day, including a thrice-sized color strip on Sundays. It's on a bit of a break right now as the guys prep for a new storyline kicking off later in the summer, but that's good because it gives you plenty of time to get caught up. So head over to acekilroy.com and check it out because it really is a, a fun and entertaining comic book. So once more, Rob, thank you very much for the kind words and and the iTunes review. I really do appreciate it. Right now, I'm going to take a short break to play a promo, and then we'll come back with Superman's latest radio adventure. My name is Steve Lacey, and I'm a podcaster. Randomizer hit my long boxes, and now I'm lost in my comic book collection. Help me. Help me. Listen, please, is there anybody out there who can hear me? I'm being controlled by an overbearing and fickle randomizer. I'm doing everything I can to review this book in the next 20 minutes. This is the 20-minute long box. The 20-minute long box is the briefest and most random of comic book podcasts. Every two weeks, a completely random comic book from my collection is the subject of the show. Find me at the show's site, 20minutelongbox.libsyn.com, the show's blog at 20minutelongbox.wordpress.com, or search for 20 Minute Long Box on iTunes. Prepare yourself for random. So the 12th storyline from the Superman radio show was episodes 64 through 69. A lot of 69s in this episode. And it ran from July 8th to July 19th, 1940. Uh, Superman number 6 was the only Superman-related comic book released during this storyline. And as always, the daily and Sunday newspaper strips were in the midst of storylines that will be featured in upcoming episodes. The Daily actually kicked off a brand new storyline the same day this radio storyline started. But the Sunday Strip was wrapping up their storyline. It actually ended the Sunday after this arc ended. So we will be looking at that next episode. Our story for this episode, however, has been called Happy Land Amusement Park. As our story opens today, we find Clark Kent and Lois Lane, the Daily Planet star woman reporter on their way to cover the opening day celebration of the Happyland Amusement Park, a gay, newly constructed playland on the outskirts of Metropolis. To Clark Kent, accustomed to exciting adventures, it seems like a mild assignment. But Lois Lane has more than just a casual interest in Happyland Amusement Park. She explains her interest to Kent as they drive along. Let's listen. As they drive, Lois Lane explains to Clark Kent that she wants to give the park all the publicity she can because their owner, Nancy Bardette, is a good friend. Though Nancy is only 19, Lois has known her for a long time. It seems Nancy's father built Happy Land, but unfortunately died six months ago before he could see his dream realized in the park's opening. Nancy was going to give the park up following her father's death, but Lois convinced her to run it herself, and now wants to help any way she can. The park has planned a big opening, including a parade led by Nancy herself but Lois is concerned about competition from the nearby Carnival Town, which is operated by a man named Midway Martin. As they arrive at the park, they head to Nancy's tent, but stop when they overhear Nancy in a heated argument with Martin. Martin is harassing Nancy, giving her a lowball offer to try and bully her into selling the park. 
But Nancy holds her ground and tells Martin to get out. Realizing Nancy won't sell, Martin leaves, but not before making a not-so-thinly-veiled threat against the welfare of Nancy and the park. Lois and Clark enter the tent, and Lois tries to console and encourage Nancy. After introductions, Clark asks Nancy if she's received any other threats from Martin, but Nancy doesn't remember any similar remarks before. Lois thinks it's nothing and tells Clark to hush because Martin is just blowing hot air. Lois then asks Nancy if she can ride in the parade with her to get better pictures, and Nancy also offers Clark a ride, but Clark declines, saying he'll just walk around the park and see what other stories he can find. Shortly, Mr. Kelly, Happy Land's superintendent, tells them that the parade is about to start, so Lois and Nancy head out. Since Clark is still suspicious about Martin's threat, he decides to go over to Carnival Town and have a talk with Martin. Arriving soon at Martin's office, he tells Martin that he's a strong man and inquires about a job. Despite Clark's persistence, Martin says they're not hiring, so Clark wonders if he can get a job at Happy Land. But Martin gets insolent and says all they'll need at Happy Land in a couple hours is headache medicine, and then kicks Clark out without saying more. Clark puzzles over the comment and figures that something's up. He's about to head back to Happy Land when he sees Kelly getting out of a car and go into Martin's office. After changing to Superman, he slips behind Martin's shack to listen in. Meanwhile, back at Happy Land, Nancy and Lois lead the parade in a horse-drawn carriage. Everything seems to be going well when the horses start to get spooked. Nancy tries to steady them, but the horses break off in a run, pulling the carriage behind them. As the horses run towards a washed-out bridge, dragging the rickety carriage behind, Lois notices one of the carriage's wheels can't handle the strain and is starting to break loose. The horses thunder forward, and pending doom awaits Lois and Nancy, as the gathered crowd can do nothing but watch on in horror. When our next episode begins, we temporarily ignore Lois and Nancy's plight and open back at Carnival Town. Superman enters into Martin's shack through a rear window and listens in as Kelly tells Martin that he did the job just as told. Through some expositional dialogue, we learn that Martin ordered Kelly to put acid crystals under the horse's harnesses. As the horses began to sweat, the acid would melt and burn their skin. With the news, Superman flies off, hoping to get back to the parade before it's too late. Meanwhile, we catch up with Lois and Nancy, still in a carriage and about to go over where the bridge should be. The girls are about to jump when the carriage wheel snaps off, causing the girls to faint. Thankfully, Superman swoops in just in the nick of time, plucking the girls from the carriage and flying them to safety. Several hours later, Kelly visits Martin and shows him a newspaper with the headline, Mystery Man Saves Girls and Runaway. The article then talks about how a mysterious Superman saved Lois and Nancy. The article goes on to say that even though the girls were saved, the horses continued their rampaging run, ultimately crashing through the scaffolding at the bridge and falling into the water below. Four of the horses died, but two were saved and examined by a veterinarian who discovered the acid beneath their harnesses. Martin isn't concerned, saying that it can't be connected back to them, and begins to plan how to get rid of Nancy since their first plan had failed. Kelly suggests that maybe one of the rides could have an accident. Martin says they'll try a slightly different tack by warning people the rides are unsafe, and then when an accident does happen, people will stay away. Martin plans to print flyers and have a pilot distribute them from a plane over the park. He tells Kelly to sabotage the Sky Chaser roller coaster so that it jumps the tracks when it goes for its first run that evening. Kelly's a bit apprehensive because of the number of lives that would be put at risk, but Martin threatens to tell the police who spiked the horses, and Kelly agrees to play along. Martin then goes on to say that there won't be anyone on the ride anyway, because flyers will make people nervous enough that Nancy is forced to do a test run with the coaster empty. Then when the coaster jumps the tracks, the police will shut the park down. That evening, just before 8 when the park is to open, Clark tells Nancy and Lois that he saw Kelly talking to Martin and that he thinks they were responsible for the incident during the parade. Just then, Kelly arrives, having been summoned by Nancy, and she asks him about what Clark had said. Kelly denies, but a commotion outside interrupts their discussion. It seems the crowd has grown restless after seeing the flyers about the Sky Chaser. Nancy attempts to calm the crowd by climbing atop the ticket booth and telling the crowd that the flyers are false 
and that the ride is safe. And to prove it, she plans on taking the very first ride. A few minutes later, Nancy has gotten into the car on the Sky Chaser. While Lois tries unsuccessfully to call her out in case the coaster is unsafe, Clark says he isn't worried because he thinks the flyers were just meant to scare people. But he wants to know where Kelly went. As the coaster begins its trek, Clark slips away to look for Kelly, finally spotting him entering a phone booth. After placing a call to Martin to tell him what's happened, Kelly leaves the phone booth only to run smack into Superman. Or at least Clark using his Superman voice. Kelly tries to fight, but Superman obviously has the upper hand and demands to know what he did to the coaster. Kelly refuses to talk, but after some rough treatment from Superman, he admits that he took a piece out of the track. Unfortunately, Superman was a bit too rough, and Kelly then falls unconscious before revealing where on the track he did the damage. Superman says he can't stop the coaster because people would know the flyers are right and it would ruin Happy Land. So, returning to Lois's Clark, he tells her to call an ambulance. Without explaining why, Clark runs off again and takes to the skies as Superman to look for the missing piece of track. Hidden by darkness, Superman flies along the track looking for a break as the coaster reaches the top of a peak and begins to race downhill. The car zooms around a corner and through a tunnel, while elsewhere, Superman finally spots a break in the line, a ten-foot piece of track that Kelly had torn out. Superman says he needs to find the missing line and repair it, but then spots the coaster speeding down the tracks towards him. With only a few seconds to act, he finally spots the missing piece of track wedged under some ties. Grabbing it, he sets it into place. However, Superman realizes the bolts are missing, so he grabs tight, holding the track in place and allowing the car to pass by safely. Shortly later, Clark meets up with Lois and tells her that Nancy is safe. Lois berates Clark for first saying they needed an ambulance and then saying that everything is okay. But Clark just points out that the coaster is coming around the final turn and kind of changes the subject. The crowd cheers as the coaster comes to a stop. Clark then pulls Lois aside and tells her an attempt was made to wreck the coaster. He won't say how he knows, but says Lois needs to tell Nancy not to operate the coaster again that night as there is a piece of track that's missing. He says he suspects Martin was behind it and is going to try and get evidence. Clark asks Lois to tell Perry White that he might not show up for a few days, but that he'll be alright because he's on the case. Lois tries to ask questions, but Clark slips off before answering. Clark then returns to where he left Kelly, just as the superintendent starts to come too. Removing his glasses so that Kelly won't recognize him, he helps Kelly up and then introduces himself as Bill Jones. Kelly declines a ride to the hospital, but offers Clark $5 to take him to Carnival Town. On the way, Kelly tries to find out if anything happened at the park while he was unconscious, but Clark says he didn't hear about any accidents and was only there to see about getting a job as a strongman. Kelly says he'll put a good word in with Martin, and the two soon arrive at Carnival Town. Telling Clark to wait in the car, Kelly goes inside and tells Martin all that went on at the park, and the fact that Jones, a.k.a. Clark, helped him out. Martin isn't too concerned about Clark, but Kelly says he thought he recognized Clark's voice, so he swiped his wallet on the ride over. Looking inside the wallet, they find several business cards and discover who Clark really is. Martin realizes he must be the same guy who came by earlier and says to go ahead and bring him in, and they'll give him a job. A job that will last a very long time. Meanwhile, back at Happy Land, everything seems to be going okay. Lois and Nancy talk, recapping the events of the last three episodes, and then, worried about Clark's welfare, the two women decide to drive over to Carnival Town to check things out. At Carnival Town, Martin and Kelly give us even more recap, and Kelly finally brings Clark inside and makes introductions. Martin inquires about Clark's Strongman Act, and then pulls a gun. He reveals that he knows who Clark really is, and wants to know why he's been snooping around. Clark is at first reluctant to talk, but then says he thinks Martin was responsible for the so-called accidents that went on at Happy Land. Unhappy about the accusation, Martin hits Clark with the butt of the gun. Clark pretends that the blow knocked him out, and Martin and Kelly tie Clark up and drag him into the back room. Once alone, Clark easily snaps the ropes and listens as Martin tells Kelly his latest plan. Happy Land has an hourly fireworks show, and the thugs plan on sabotaging the show in order to cause a fire. 
As Martin and Kelly make their plans, Clark changes to Superman and leaps out the window, intent on getting back to Happy Land and catching them in the act. A short while later, Martin and Kelly have replaced the powder in one of the firecrackers with a dangerous explosive. As they're about to leave, they see Nancy and Lois getting out of their car. Martin sends Kelly and the firecracker to the back room where they won't be seen. He says they may not need the explosive after all, because in just a few minutes, Happy Land will be his. As our next episode opens, Lois and Nancy head towards Martin's office. Martin lets them in and says he's surprised to see Nancy, but Lois says they're only there to find Clark. Martin dodges the question, finally saying he doesn't know who Clark is. After Lois pushes the issue and threatens to call the police, Martin replies that Clark is safe, for now. Lois tries to call the police, but Martin grabs the phone. He says nothing will happen to Clark as long as he gets what he wants, and what he wants is Happy Land. He offers another lowball price of $15,000, and Lois tells him off. But Nancy, worried about Clark, says the park is hers to do with what she wants. Martin pulls out the contracts, and Nancy agrees to sign, provided Martin promises to let Clark go. Just then, the phone rings. Kelly is on the line, and tells Martin that when he went into the back room, he discovered Clark was gone. So he climbed out the window and found a phone. Martin tells Kelly to get the car ready, and they'll leave in ten minutes. He then hangs up and tells Nancy to hurry up and sign the papers. Lois gets all feisty, and tells Nancy not to sign. Martin says that's good enough for him and starts to leave, telling them not to worry about Clark because they'll never see him again. Desperate, Nancy pleads with Martin to come back and agrees to sign the contract. As Lois continues to tell her she's making a mistake, Nancy signs. But it's then, after Nancy has signed the papers, that Martin reveals that Lois was right. He was bluffing, and Clark isn't there. Martin then leaves, and Nancy gets hysterical about how she was just cheated out of her father's park. Since it's too late to involve the police, Lois says she's going to follow Martin and try to get the contract back. She tells Nancy to go back to Happy Land and try to find Clark and wait there for her call. An hour later, we meet up with Nancy back at Happy Land. She's found Clark, and the two wait anxiously for Lois's call. Clark works to comfort Nancy when the phone rings. Clark answers, but there's no one on the other end of the line. After Clark hangs up, Nancy says she can't believe that Kelly was working for Martin, but Clark says there's no way she could have known. After more recapping and seller's remorse from Nancy, the phone rings again. Clark answers and hears the very muffled sound of Lois's voice. Clark asks Lois what happened and where she is, and Lois begins to answer when the call is suddenly interrupted and Lois is cut off. Our final episode picks up some time later. No, I'm just kidding. It actually picks up immediately after, as Clark tries to contact the operator, but finds out that she can't reconnect the call. She is able to trace the call, however, and tells Clark it came from the Colonia Hotel in Parkville. Given that Parkville is 50 miles away, Clark starts to leave immediately. Nancy wants to go along, but Clark tells her it would be better if she waited at Happy Land. Once out of sight... Clark changes to Superman and leaps into the sky to fly to Parkville. Meanwhile, at the hotel, Lois stands defiant against Martin and Kelly, refusing to tell them who she had started to call. Kelly says that she was probably calling Clark, and Martin says they need to get the car ready. Instead of spending the night in the hotel like they planned, they need to keep moving. Once Kelly is gone, Martin asks Lois why she followed them, and Lois says that she wants to build a sale, as Martin has no right to it. But Martin replies that he paid for the park, and legally, Happy Land belongs to him. His plan is to leave town for a few days and take possession of the park when he returns. He then warns Lois to mind her own business, or else. Lois is unafraid, but Martin grabs her to bring her along as a hostage. Lois fights back, slapping and hitting Martin several times, causing him to trip and hit his head on a chair. With Martin stunned, Lois rummages through his pockets and grabs the bill of sale, and then slips out of the hotel and hurries to the car, hoping to avoid Kelly and get back to Happy Land. Martin recovers quickly, and he and Kelly chase after her in another car. They come to a narrow stretch of road along a cliff, and Kelly wants to slow down, but Martin tells him to stop whining and go faster. After skidding around a sharp corner, they finally catch up to Lois, and Martin tells Kelly to pull around her and block the road. 
At the same time, Superman continues his flight towards Parkville. From high in the sky, he happens to see the car speeding dangerously along the road. He doesn't realize at first who's inside, but given their driving, thinks he should stick around just in case something happens. As he swoops downward, Kelly and Martin try to force their way around Lois, eventually causing her to drive off the cliff. As the car tumbles downward, Superman pours on the speed, hoping to catch the car. But before he can grab hold of the auto, a figure falls from the car. Not being able to catch both, Superman goes after the figure, finally catching her and flying towards the ground to safety. Once back on the ground, Superman realizes that it's Lois that he saved, and guesses it must mean that Martin was chasing after her. Looking up the road a bit, he sees Martin's car parked and decides to just hide and wait for, her, for him and Kelly to show up. As Martin and Kelly make their way down the cliff, they're confronted by Superman, who says the pair will hang for what they did. They try to run, but Superman grabs both and beats them into unconsciousness. He then grabs them and Lois, intends on taking them into the police, and Lois back to Happyland. Later, back at the park, Lois tells Nancy she doesn't know how she was saved after her car went off the cliff. Nancy and Clark tell her not to worry about it, that she was probably just lucky. And also lucky that Clark happened along and was able to get the bill of sale before Martin found it. With Martin and Kelly both in jail and unable to cause more trouble, Lois and Clark bid Nancy goodbye and head back to the Daily Planet to file the story. The End Sawate. My name is Stella, and I am the host of Bad Girl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Bad Girl to Oracle is a podcast and site dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the Bad Girl mantle for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1985. The goal of BTO is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Batgirl and continue on through her current tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at vintage issues of Detective Comics and Batman and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I examine Barbara Gordon's appearances in the media, such as TV, film, etc. I've been blessed to be able to interview writer Brian Q. Miller, and I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Please visit us online at batgirltooracle.net and look for us on iTunes. Thank you. Unfortunately, I don't have much information about the cast for this set of episodes. We had our regulars, of course, with Bud Collier as Superman and Clark Kent, and the wonderful Joan Alexander as Lois Lane, but I'm not sure who voiced Martin, Kelly, or Nancy. Martin sounded like he might have been Ned Weaver, and I'm guessing Kelly was probably Arthur Vinton or one of the other show regulars, but I just don't have any uh, firm information on those. Whoever did Martin, I, I get the feeling he didn't have a lot of time with his script. In episode 65 especially, he was stumbling over his lines a few times, even at one point nearly calling the roller coaster the skyscraper rather than the sky chaser. I'd really love to know more about the production side of the radio show. You know, how long actors had with their scripts and how and when they were recorded, that kind of thing. We, we may never know, but it, I think it would really clear up some questions that we've had about the radio show. Also of note is that Julian Noah does not appear in any of these episodes. As I mentioned in the synopsis, Perry is mentioned by name at one point, but he doesn't appear. Uh, To get into the uh, episode-by-episode notes, episode 64, as you heard in the opening narration, we have another iconic piece of the mythology finally getting its due on the radio show. After 64 episodes... 21 weeks into the show, we finally learn that Superman is operating out of the city of Metropolis, just as he is in the comics. And sure, we as longtime fans knew that it was Metropolis all along, but it's nice to finally hear the name actually used in the show. And I'm still just blown away that it took almost a half a year to get around to naming the city, but I'm happy that it's finally here. 
this episode is actually the only time it's used in this batch, so we'll see how frequently they refer to it from here on out. Uh, but nevertheless, Superman is now officially the guardian of Metropolis on the radio show, just as he is in the comics and newspapers. Getting into the story itself, this episode opens just like the first episode of the last storyline, with Lois and Clark en route to their latest assignment. I mentioned in the episode covering the last storyline that I liked the different kind of opening. And I like it here too, but now I'm worried that this is the new story opener, and that they're just going to keep repeating this for a little while. Um, on a kind of related note, there, there's got to be a different way to open stories beyond Lois and Clark getting an assignment. I think every storyline so far, except for the first one, obviously, has opened like that. You know, they're called into Perry's office and given an assignment, or they meet up with him en route like they have here. The radio show, I think, as a whole, has been stronger story-wise than the comics or newspapers. But I will give the comics and newspapers props for being much better at mixing up how Superman and Clark Kent and Lois Lane get involved in the stories they're telling. And I know there's a change coming very soon to the radio show that may lend itself more to, uh, to, to variety on that count. So we'll see how things go in a, in a few storylines. I did like that Lois had a personal connection to Nancy. Lois plays a big part in this story. And while she's been portrayed as pretty stiff-jawed so far in the radio show, giving her a history with Nancy gave her extra motivation this time out. And another bonus to Lois knowing Nancy before the story started is that it gave the writers opportunity to get a lot of the exposition out of the way before Clark and Lois arrive at Happy Land because Lois was able to tell Clark all about how you know Nancy came into owning the park and, and the plans for the opening and that kind of thing. Yes, it was still a huge info dump and far more detailed than normal conversation would be, but in the context it felt much more natural compared to some of the exposition we've gotten in the show. I liked Nancy's character. I thought she was pretty brave in this episode, standing up to Martin like she did. Even though she does knuckle under way too easy in later episodes, I enjoyed seeing her stand up for herself in the park instead of just, you know, wringing her hands as she's being bullied and, and necessitating Clark or Lois to step in and, and save her, so to speak. And yes, she does break down after Martin leaves, but while... Martin was threatening her, she, she's firmly holding her ground and not budging an inch. You know, given the portrayal of female characters on the show so far, and, and of the time, really, I thought that was pretty exceptional. And I like, too, uh, as she is standing up to Martin, we get little dialogue from Clark and Lois talking about the situation and explaining what's going on. And Clark cheers her on a bit as they're listening, which I just really enjoyed that. Speaking of Clark and Lois, though, after Lois and Clark talk to Nancy, Clark leaves to walk around the fair to work on his story, and once he's alone, he's talking to himself, and he says, I have a feeling there's a story here neither of them suspect. I didn't like Midway Martin's face. A man with a face like his is capable of almost anything. I think I'll just take a little ride over to Carnival Town and have a little talk with him. I'm not sure if that was meant to be hyperbole or if Clark just thought the guy was ugly. I mean, <laughs> earlier he said something about Martin being a, a mean-looking cuss. So I, I don't know. It, it just made me chuckle a little bit the way he said that. Uh, but then Clark goes to Carnival Town and fishes around for a strongman job. Or actually, before that, one small nitpick. They say that Carnival Town is five miles away from Happy Land. Now... Granted, they say Happy Land is an amusement park where Carnival Town is a carnival, but they're bound to draw the same types of crowds. So why Nancy's father would choose to build his park so close to Carnival Town is a bit odd, but that's really just a kind of a minor nitpick. Anyway, Clark goes to Carnival Town and tries unsuccessfully to get a job as a strongman, and I was disappointed that he never actually got the job because... Seeing Clark go undercover as a strongman would have been really uh, would have been a really cool storyline. Maybe it was something that wouldn't have played well on the radio, where you can't see the visuals. But 
Superman performing in a circus is something that just fits with this era. And we even saw something kind of similar in an early issue of Action Comics. But that obviously wasn't the story they're telling here, but I still think it, it would have been nice. On a technical note, I was really impressed with the sound effects in this episode. While they're at Happy Land, there's a lot of crowd sounds in the background. They're loud enough that you can hear them to get the atmosphere, but soft enough that they aren't, you know, an, an obnoxious distraction. But at the same time, I give them points off for the parade scene where there's absolutely no background noise. Nancy and Lois are in the horse-drawn carriage, supposedly leading this big parade down a crowded street, and you hear nothing but their voices and the horse hooves. Even when the horses get wild, there's no screams or anything from the crowd. So that seemed a, a little inconsistent. And actually on that note, the last comment I had for this episode was that it had a decent cliffhanger at the end. Uh, decent, but not a great one. And I think the lack of background noise and sound effects hurt it because you know hearing these screams and, and gasps of horror from the crowd would have really upped the drama of the scene. Moving on to episode 65, Superman arrives back at Happy Land just in the nick of time to save Nancy and Lois. And conveniently, both women faint at the exact same time, a split second before Superman shows up. Once again, it's very funny how people keep fainting at the most opportune times. The newspaper report that tells about Superman's rescue of Nancy and Lois was very interesting. How is it? Really? Open up! Uh, what's up? Hey, you look green around the gills. Look at this newspaper. It just come out. Wait a minute, close the door. What's this? Mystery man saves girls and runaway. I went downtown to see what had happened. Shut up. A mysterious Superman came out of nowhere early today and snatched two young women from the very jaws of death. Doomed when the six horses drawing the leading carriage of the Happy Land Amusement Park Parade went wild and bolted. Nancy Bardette, young owner of the amusement park, and Lois Lane, Daily Planet reporter, today owing their lives to an unknown hero. Hey, what is this, a gag? No, Midway, no, it ain't no gag. It's on the level. Some guy hopped on the carriage, grabbed the two dames, and got them off just before the whole works turned over. But that ain't the half of it. Read down at the bottom of the page there about the horses. I think that might uh, be the most overt reporting about Superman turn, we've heard of. With Superman much more under the radar and Clark, you know, constantly sweeping his actions under the rug, we haven't had these great headlines like Mystery Man Saves Girls or Caped Wonder Stuns City. So I'm happy that Superman's actions are getting a bit more press even though he's still going to be much more under the radar in the radio show for quite a while yet. Um, I mentioned earlier that I'd like to see them come up with you know new ways of getting our heroes involved in the story, but more than that, I'd really like to see them come up with different villains, or, or different takes on villains. The show so far has had basically just one setup with the villain so far. You've got your main bad guy and his flunky. And the flunky, usually for the sake of exposition asks a lot of questions, and has qualms with the viciousness of the main villain. And yeah, there have been others. I mean, the, the Azatlan Indian and the, the Witch Doctor. But for the most part, the rest have been the same two-man setup. And given that there's not a whole lot of difference between the Wolf and Kino or Martin and Kelly, you know, personality-wise, I really think they need to start changing it up because it's getting really repetitive. At the same time, though, even with these things, even with the villains being so similar, the stories themselves aren't really feeling repetitive. At least no more than, you know, the Superman stories from the comics or what have you. So kudos to them for keeping the storylines entertaining when there's not been a whole lot of deviation in the setup of the villains. Speaking of villains, though, the stuff that Kelly puts under the horse's harnesses is oxalic acid, which actually is a compound. I'm not sure it would work in real life quite the way it does in the story here, though. I did a bit of research and, and couldn't come up with anything, you know, a solid answer one way or the other. My uncle actually has horses, but I didn't get a chance to talk to him. I kind of feel like it wouldn't work quite the way it does, but either way, hooray for referencing something that actually does exist rather than some, you know, made-up phlebotinum-like vibrating infogram arrays. 
episode 66, when Superman is harassing Kelly to find out what he did to the Sky Chaser, he actually goes too far and knocks Kelly out before he gets all the information he needs. It struck me as odd at first, but I've grown to appreciate that they show Superman screwing up some in the radio show, but that they're able to do it without making him an idiot. You know, we hear him being wrong about something or, or being a little too rough with the villain like he was here. They don't dwell on it, and Superman is always able to save the day in the end. But they throw in these uh, little things that make him a more, I hate to say realistic, but realistic or believable or are the only words I'm coming up with. Authentic, that might be a good word. They make him a more authentic character that doesn't always have all the answers at the drop of a hat. And I know a lot of it is just for the sake of exposition or plot, or to you know, set up things later in the story. Here, for instance, it sets up a situation where we have more tension and drama as Superman tried to find where on the coaster it had been sabotaged. But still, I like it compared to the comics where characters just don't have that kind of characterization. I also found it interesting that he changed back to Clark and checked in with Lois before flying off to make the save as Superman, when he could have just as easily went and called for the ambulance himself. I don't know if they were trying to put forth the idea that he needs to uh, keep the whereabouts of his secret identity established, or if he, they just needed Clark to get into the episode for a minute. I did like that he thought of calling the ambulance, though, just in case he couldn't find the missing piece of track. If he failed, Nancy would still be killed. You know, There's no doubt about that. But there's people on the ground that would be in a whole lot of hurt. So, again, it's nice that they portray Superman as not fallible per se, but, but maybe realizing or at least preparing for an eventuality where he might not be able to save the day. Um, the writer and the announcer, I thought, really did a really good job during the coaster save scene with the narration describing how Superman was searching for the piece of track and, and talking about Nancy's reaction as, at the speed of the coaster. There's there's no dialogue at all in that part. It's just the narrator describing the actions and the sound effects of Superman flying and, and the coaster and whatnot. So it could have been completely unexciting, but I just thought they did a really good job. I should say I have something to do. As Superman, I've got to search a mile of roller coaster track to find where that piece has been removed. It's a good thing it's dark. Up, up, and away! Leaping to the steel framework of the Sky Chaser, Superman races along the track, sharp eyes glued to the shining rails, looking for a break. And meanwhile, the roller coaster car carrying Nancy Bardet has reached the top of the first high grade. It hangs motionless for a timeless moment, then comes hurtling down like a giant bullet. Gathering momentum, the car screams around a sharp curve at better than a mile a minute. It roars through a dark tunnel with Nancy clutching the polished handrails, her teeth clenched, her face drained of color. Meanwhile, racing far ahead of the roller coaster car, Superman searches frantically for the place in the track where the piece of steel rail has been removed. Suddenly, he stops short, drops to his hands and knees. Ah, here's the break. Great Scott Kelly wasn't lying. Ten foot length of track has been torn up. Unless I can find it and get it back into place, that roller coaster car will go smashing through the steel framework and down to the ground a hundred feet below. Where can the missing track be? Uh, what's that? roller coaster car. It's coming. Speeding down the track. I've only got a few seconds. Where could Kelly have put it? Ah, hold on. What's that? Wedged under the ties. Oh, thank heavens. It's the missing piece of track. Out you come. There. Now to set it into place. Oh, look at that car bearing down on me. Oh, the bolts are missing. The car will hit it and jump the track. I'll have to hold it steady with my hands. One slip and everything's lost. Down low now. Steady. Steady. Here she comes. One thing in this episode was that, again, there's confusion for me as to when Clark is actually changing to Superman and when he's just changing his voice. Sometimes they actually say, but sometimes they don't. Uh, for instance, in this particular episode, Clark goes off and confronts Kelly. And Bud Collier is using his Superman voice, so I assumed that he had changed. But later, after saving the coaster, he helps Kelly and explicitly says he's taking off his glasses so that Kelly won't recognize him. So it's just 
weird because Kelly had seen Clark earlier in Nancy's office, but only for a split second. And if he'd been in full Superman costume when he was roughing up Kelly, you'd think it'd be easier to fool him if he left the glasses on. So, who knows? Moving on to episode 67, (laughs) a lot less notes on this one because half of the episode is recap. We are five minutes in before anything new happens, aside from Nancy and Lois deciding to go to Carnival Town and look for Clark. Which is odd in and of itself, since neither of them knew that that is where Clark was going. Uh, It was just a a very lucky guess on Lois' part. Uh, But that aside, I realized this was a Monday episode, and maybe they felt a bit more detail was needed in the recap, but with a a 10-minute episode, that's a lot of recapping. In fact, because of all the recapping, that's really the only note I had about this episode. So, moving on to episode 68. Now, earlier I applauded their portrayal of Nancy as so willing to stand up to Martin. So when I got here, I was kind of let down that she signed the park over so easily. But at the same time, if you listen to the actors give her lines, she just sounds wore out. Like she's just had enough and she doesn't have the strength to go on anymore. Between Martin's harassment at the top of the story, the accident on the horses, the incident on the roller coaster. Well, I guess she didn't actually know anything about that. But still, you got Martin at the top of the story, the accident on the horses, and now Clark's abduction. She's just tired of people and things constantly being harassed and jeopardized because of this stupid amusement park. They don't say any of that in the episode, of course and I may be reading way too much into it, but that's really what I got from the way the actress did her lines. Really, this set of episodes did a lot in portraying the female characters better. Um, I loved Lois going after Martin on her own. It definitely fit with the the classic and and modern portrayals of Lois, or modem portrayals, as I put in my notes. (laughs) Maybe not quite with her portrayal, to, to the point where we're at in the stories in the various media, but like I said earlier, given Lois's friendship with Nancy, she's got a personal interest here. So I can definitely see her, you know, throwing herself into things and, and going after Martin to help this kid out. Given that, it does fit with her portrayal so far, and it makes me like Lois a whole lot more. And I, I really hope some of this portrayal, some of the, the portrayal we saw in this batch of episodes of Lois, carries forward in both the radio show and and ultimately works its way into the comics. I'm not holding my breath, mind you, but there you go. Unfortunately, sometime later, we we catch up with Nancy again, and she's back at Happy Land just hanging out with Clark and waiting on the call from Lois. Now, granted, that's what Lois told her to do, but why is Clark just waiting around? We've seen him go into action as Superman in far less dire circumstances, and I really would have liked some explanation about why he was still waiting at the park, even if it was just a throwaway line of dialogue to himself that he felt he needed to stay at the park in case you know trouble came up there. That wouldn't make any sense since Martin was the owner of the park at that point, and you know why would he be causing more trouble there? But just a line of dialogue or or even narration offering some kind of excuse, um, even a weak one, w- would have made me happier than Clark sitting around doing nothing while Lois is missing for hours on end. Um, There was a lot of recapping at the end of this episode, too. I mean, even recapping stuff that had just happened in the episode. So certain parts of this story feel like they were just kind of biding time trying to fill out six episodes again. Uh, Moving on to the final episode, episode 69. This episode, if you don't love Lois a little bit more after this episode... I just don't know what to say for you. She stands up in utter defiance to Martin, which really isn't a surprise after last episode, but then she goes after him. She's hitting him, she's slapping him, you know, enough to cause him to trip and slam his head into the chair. And while he's down, she she grabs the bill of sale from his pocket and makes a run for it. I won't tell you who I was calling, and nothing you do will ever get it out of me. Pretty cocky, aren't you, Miss Lane? You can call it that if you care to. She was calling that reporter, Kent Midway. I know all about it, Kelly. Maybe you'd better go down and see that the car's gassed up. I've changed my mind about staying here overnight. We'll keep moving. Okay. 
Now, Miss Lane, perhaps you'll tell me why you followed us here. What did you expect to gain? I want that bill of sale you tricked Nancy Bardette into signing. You have no right to it. Every right in the world, girlie. I paid for the Happy Land Amusement Park, and it's mine, lock, stock, and barrel. You paid for it? You mean you stole it? Have it your own way. All I know is that I've got a legal bill of sale. And just as soon as I return from taking a little vacation, I'm going to take possession. That's what you think. Uh, No, no, I don't think it, Miss Lane. I know it. And if you take my advice, you'll keep your pretty little nose out of my affairs. You know, uh, you might get hurt. I'm not afraid of you, Midway Martin. You can't frighten me. Is that so? Well, supposing I decide to take you with me just to keep you out of trouble. You wouldn't dare. There are still a few laws in this country that you're afraid of. Really? Well, girlie, you're coming with me. Laws or no laws. Come on. Let go of my arm. Come on, come on. I said let go of my arm. Behave yourself, girlie. I'm warning you. I'll behave myself just the way I should. How's this? Oh. And this. Stop. Die, you little fool. Stop it. Stop it, I say. You're a thief and a swindler. Stop. He tripped. He tripped and fell. His head struck the chair. He's stunned. Bill sale. It must be in his pocket. This is my chance to get it. Yes. Here it is. Oh, what a break. Now to slip by Kelly and get back to Happy Land before Martin comes to. If I can get a five-mile start, I'm in, but it's safe. Certainly worth trying. Well, here goes. I just got a real kick out of that scene. And it's... I, th- I think it might be my favorite Lois Lane scene uh, that we have ever gotten to this point. Either in the comics, the newspapers, or the radio. Uh, one complaint I had about this episode was that I'm not sure how the man with, you know, all these uh, fancy vision powers didn't recognize Lois when she went off the cliff. I mean, I realized there was a lot going on, but he saw her car, he saw her fall out of the car, and then he grabs her and flies down to the ground. And it's only then, when he's back on the ground, that he notices that it's Lois. So, that's weird. Uh, but the only other comment I had about this episode is that neither Martin or Kelly died at the end because they're both taken to jail by Superman. That's an extreme... Hmm. I, I, I just realized that there's not much... Superman says he's taken them to jail, but there's really not too much that he could pin on them that he had actual proof for. Hmm. Anyway, the villains not dying at the end of the story is an extreme rarity so far in the radio show. I think the wolf is the only one to escape being believed dead at the end of their original storylines. And he ended up being dead later, obviously being killed off by the the yellow mask. Overall, I liked this story quite a bit. It was the most Superman as champion of the oppressed that we've gotten from the radio show. It felt a lot like a plot that Jerry Siegel might have written. I mean, the script was very much different. Uh, but but plot-wise, it was very similar to what Siegel has done with the characters in the comics to this point. Midway Martin and Kelly weren't especially standout as villains. Like I said, we're just getting the same kind of setup for the villains every time. But they had clear and believable motivations, and there wasn't anything I hated about them. Uh, much like Pemberton and Deneen, they were more grounded type of villains, which is absolutely fine with me. Uh, this arc had several dynamic Superman feats, and none of them felt shoehorned in. And really, for the most part, they were mostly well-produced. I get the feeling that they're still ironing out, even though that they're, what I say, 21 weeks into the show. I, I get the feeling that they're still ironing out, or I guess 22 at this point, but anyway. <laughs> I, I get the feeling that they're still ironing out what works and what doesn't as far as the, the sound effects and, and different stunts that Superman can do. Speaking of, like last storyline, again, we had a lot of descriptions about what's going on, both in the narration and the dialogue. So it makes me think that maybe they got some feedback from earlier episodes that things needed to be clearer for listeners. Or it could just be the evolving style of the writers, um, none of whom I, I don't think had any experience writing radio scripts before the Superman show came about. But still, this was a really fun storyline and a really fun batch of episodes. I don't know that it's my absolute favorite from the serial so far. 
that opening batch was just really strong with the episode on Krypton and the wolf and the Kino. I mean, I admit I'm pretty biased towards those, but still, if I was trying to turn someone onto the radio show, this might actually be a set of episodes that I would give to them to, to try and get them interested in it. Speaking of, if you are interested in hearing this batch of episodes, they've never been officially released, of course, and unfortunately, but they are available legally and free across the internet, so they should be pretty easy to track down. This story was also adapted in text form in the August 1941 issue of Radio and Television Mirror. Once again, it's an extremely truncated telling of the story. Clark and Lois arrive at Happy Land and find Nancy being threatened by Martin, just like in the radio show. But after Martin leaves, Lois goes into the cabin to console her, but Clark immediately leaves to go check out Carnival Town. And once there, he overhears Martin and Kelly, who is, is not said to be working for Nancy in this version, talking about the sabotage of the coaster. So the entire bit with the parade and, and all that's left out. But then Superman flies back to the park and is able to repair it so that Nancy's car doesn't crash. A little while later, he changes back to Clark and he joins Nancy and Lois and tells Nancy that Martin had sabotaged the coaster. And then he goes on to say that he had been able to repair it temporarily and that he'd sent police to pick up Martin, despite having no proof whatsoever. But they don't mention that part. Um... Of these adaptations I've seen, this is the most truncated one so far. I mean, they cut out all but about an episode and a half, and and maybe they could have even fit that into a single episode on the radio. I'm surprised that they cut out so much in these adaptations, but maybe there were space issues in the magazine. I I don't really know much behind the history of these adaptations. Uh, This batch of episodes was also remade way down the road in 1949. Um, At that time, the show was airing for half an hour, three days a week, and each episode was a self-contained storyline. So there were obviously considerable changes in that one, too, but we can talk about those when we get there. I guess you weren't so tough after all, were you? Now it's time to send you to the next dimension. 291 original episodes. This can't be. It's still going up. 325 manga chapters. You act innocent, but you're deadly. Time to die! Dozens of characters, hundreds of enemies, and a whole lot of violence. That kind of violence is pointless! You see, Super Saiyans tend to be a bit violent. Oh, crap! Join hosts Donovan and Jesse. As they cover the arrival of the Saiyans, the journey to Namek, the battle with Frieza, the mystery of the androids, and the terror of Majin Buu. I lied when I said you could go. At least partially lied. For I will let you go to another dimension. The Next Dimension, a Dragon Ball Z podcast. Join the fight at dbznextdimension.lipson.com. See ya. You are cordially invited to attend a podcast that observes the unfolding events of history. Come with me and observe the birth and growth of a legend. From the pages of a ten-cent pulp comic book to the newspapers, radio program adventures, theatrical films, and more. Witness the dawn of the superhero. Golden Age Superman. Available on iTunes and at goldenagesuperman.lipson.com. Every legend has a beginning. One interesting kind of footnote, you might call it, about this batch of episodes is that amusement parks named Happy Land have made their way into other versions of uh, Superman comic books as well. 
first off, Jack Kirby brought a much different version into continuity during his work on the Fourth World books in the 1970s. In issue four of The Forever People, the heroes are imprisoned at the park and tortured by Desaad. Many years later, post-crisis, Happy Land Amusement Park was brought into the Superman books. Um, about a year before Doomsday, in Adventures of Superman 475, Happy Land is introduced as an intergang-run park that's used to launder money for their, you know, their various criminal operations. I don't know if either Happy Land was named in tribute to this original version on the radio show. Uh, I kind of doubt it. I mean, Happy Land is a pretty, you know, a pretty generic name for an amusement park, and and two, I think the post-crisis version was named in tribute to the Kirby version. But I don't think the Kirby version owes back to this because it just doesn't fit with how Kirby how Kirby wrote his stories and, and the kinds of things he did when he was writing. Uh, but I, but still, I like that the name has lived on, even if it wasn't an intentional tribute or homage. Uh, but next episode, we will be looking at the fifth storyline from the Sunday version of the Superman newspaper strip. I haven't read it yet at the time of recording this, but... Hopefully it'll be a much better storyline than the last one from the Sundays. I want to thank you all for joining me. Please stop by the website at greatcrypton.com. At the site you will find show notes for this episode. Uh, in this in the show post for this particular episode, I will be sure to scan the spot illustrations that were in the Radio Mirror adaptation because uh, they're kind of cool. But you'll also find back episodes of the show and other Superman and comics-related postings. If you want to subscribe to the show, you'll find the RSS feed as well and the iTunes link. If you use iTunes, I'd really appreciate it if you could take a few minutes and leave a review because I really do think it helps people know that the show is worth listening to. If you are on Facebook or Twitter, be sure to follow the show on those sites to get updates on your feed whenever I have a new episode or other show-related news. You can also contact me either through the site or through Facebook, or you can email me directly at thrillingadventures at greatcrypton.com with any questions, comments, or other feedback you might have. Please don't forget to check out the Superman homepage and the Superman Podcast Network. Both sites have all sorts of awesome Superman-related content, in in addition to notices when there are new episodes of this and other Superman-related podcasts. Last but not least, I invite you to check out my other podcasts. First up is Green Lantern's Light, where Jeffrey Taylor, J. David Weeder, and I talk all about the late bronze and modern age adventures of the Green Lantern Corps. And then there is Legends of the Batman, where Michael Kaiser and I talk about the golden age adventures of the totally awesome Batman. We are actually just beginning our coverage on that show of all Batman material from 1941, so it's a great jumping on point. As always, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster in his copyright DC Comics. So thanks again for listening to The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, and I will talk to you later. Goodbye. Don't let your repeated and crushing defeats get you down, old chum. Why, taking a savage beating is part of being a hero. Yeah, a C-list, no-power-having loser hero, maybe. Is Batman a C-lister? Is that what you think? Poppycock! He knows how to take a beating, never giving up until he wins. And why? Because he has heart. 
And heart is the only superpower you need. Super breath can come in fire, frost, or just plain bad. Shrinking's a power, but it's kind of sad. Shifting shape into a snake can give folks quite a fright. But only your heart will win us the fight. There's portal creation and astral projection, telekinesis and dead resurrection. With mind control, you're on a roll, and if you're lucky, flight. But only your heart will win us the fight. Who are you? Just a man or a superman? The man we turn to for the plan. Just a man or a superman, the man we need to take a stand. There's time travel, stretching and even wall crawling. A sonic scream helps you with your bad guy brawling. Fist of steel can make you feel an increased sense of might, but only your heart will win us the fight. Just a man or a superman, the man we turn to for the plan. Who are you? Just a man or a superman, the man we need to take a stand. What? Was that? I call it Aquaman's rousing song of heroism. <laughs> you don't look roused. <laughs>